This audio is brought to you by muslimcentral.com. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh everyone. Welcome back to the first. Bismillah walhamdulillah wa salatu wassalamu ala rasulillah wa ala alihi wa sahbihi wa man wala. So, last time we spoke quite a bit about Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib radiallahu ta'ala anha. And as I mentioned, it was an outlier of sorts because Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib is not one of the first Muslims, or at least that very first batch of people that embraced Islam. But hopefully now you can really appreciate the biography of Zubair ibn al-Awwam, who is Ibn Safiya who is the son of Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anha wa radiallahu anhu. So let's look at Az-Zubayr ibn al-Awwam ibn Safiya radiallahu ta'ala anhu uh, today. And let's sort of pick up right where we left off last time, where we were speaking about the strength of Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib and the type of character that she was raising him to be, the type of strength that she was imparting upon Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu and hoping that he would grow up with, and of course, he would grow up with that strength and exceed all of the expectations of that strength and that courage and that intelligence and that nobility and that honor. As we mentioned, when he uh, became Muslim, his mother argued with him. His mother did not like that. And Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was going to be tortured by the same uncle that told Safiya that she was too rough on him before. And this uncle was Nofal ibn Khuwaylid. And, you know, uh, I believe it was a few years ago that I actually gave a khutbah about him because he was a fascinating character to me. Can you imagine how hurtful it was to the Prophet ﷺ that the love of his life, Khadija anha, that her brother was one of his fiercest enemies? You don't hear much about him. You don't hear the Prophet ﷺ talk much about him. But he was so fierce in his persecution of the Prophet ﷺ, Nofal ibn Khuwaylid, and the things that he would say to the Prophet ﷺ. And then even coming forth on the day of Badr to try to kill the Prophet ﷺ, that the Prophet ﷺ nicknamed him and he was known as the Shaytan of Quraysh. And this is what I was uh, speaking about in the khutbah, subhanAllah. I remember reading about Nofa ibn, ibn Khuwaylid the first time and thinking to myself, Ya Allah, the brother of Khadija is the shaytan of Quraysh, the brother of Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha, who did everything for the Prophet sallallahu who sacrificed her entire life for the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi and her own brother was the one that would come forth to try to kill the Prophet sallallahu alayhi and it was deeply hurtful to the Prophet sallallahu and the Messenger of Allah did not want to come face to face with him in the Battle of Badr. He hated that the brother of Khadija would be such a fierce enemy to him because of how much he loved Khadija radiallahu ta'ala anha. So Zubayr radiallahu anhu is going to be tortured by his uncle Nofal ibn Khuwaylid, which was known at the time, especially with the early converts before the open persecution of people, uh, that people would be tortured by their own families. That was an initial tactic to try to uh, get them to renounce their faith. And that was what was known to the society at the time. Now let's talk about this inshallah ta'ala. As Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu, how early his, is his Islam? Uh, some of the scholars put him as early as the fourth or the fifth Muslim. Uh, now obviously this is after Khadija and Ali and Abu Bakr. And uh, you know, then you have Zayd ibn Haritha. And you have some of those very early converts. Some of the scholars put him right after Abu Bakr. They say that he embraced Islam right away with Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. And he is inseparable from Talha ibn Ubaidullah radiallahu ta'ala anhu, who we'll talk about inshallah ta'ala after Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha. So uh, Zubair and Talha, Talha was Zubair. These two are inseparable because of their age and their embracing Islam together at the hands of Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu and the youth, the, the young uh, you know, nature, they're, they're only 12 or 13 years old each as they're coming to embrace Islam. And they listen to the da'wah of Abu Bakr, immediately they're convinced. They know the Prophet sallallahu they're immediately convinced. As Zubair, of course, knows the Prophet sallallahu through multiple routes. He's the first cousin of the Prophet sallallahu because of his mother Safiya. 
And of course, his father was the brother of Khadija anha. So he doesn't need much convincing. And you will have here with these two young men, 13 years old, right? Embracing Islam, the neighbors of the Prophet Talha was Zubair Jaraya Fil Jannah. So if we and Ta'ala, we pray that we make it to Jannah and we ask Allah for Jannah to Firdaus. When we go to visit our beloved Messenger وسلم, we will find his neighbors in Jannah to be as Zubair and Talha. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala be pleased with them both. And that is not something that is earned lightly. That comes with a lot. May Allah Azza wa allow us to be amongst them. Allahumma ameen. So how do you get to that level? Um, let's start off with the obvious. Uh, when as Zubair embraced Islam, he lost all of his friends with the exception of Talha and Ali as well, uh, who was close to his age and also his first cousin, right? Because of Abu Talib. Uh, so he loses his friends. He's ridiculed by the youth. He already had the issue of having to overcome the barrier of being an orphan in society, uh, in a society that mistreated orphans. And as we mentioned, um, his mother used to beat him and used to discipline him severely before Islam, after Islam now, his uncle comes and beats him. And this is a man that was called Shaitan Quraysh, the Shaitan of Quraysh for a reason. Uh, his beating of Az-Zubair was so severe and it was very cruel. He would wrap Az-Zubair up in a rug and he put him in a small room and then he would light a fire next to his face and the smoke of that fire would suffocate Az-Zubair and he would step on him and beat him and tell him to renounce Islam. As Zubair this 13-year-old, would scream so loudly every single night until he would pass out due to the suffocation. He would scream out and say, La akfur abada, la akfur abada, la akfur abada. I will never renounce Islam. I will never renounce Islam. I will never disbelieve. And he'd keep on shouting that out as his uncle would light the fire next to his face, which would obviously burn, but suffocate him until he would pass out and the people would walk by uh, the home and they would hear the screaming of Az-Zubair but it wasn't the screaming of torture, it was the screaming of resistance, the shouting of resistance that I will not uh, disbelieve, I will not turn my back on this religion that I have embraced. So the courage that his mother wanted him to have, the falcon that she wanted him to be, Az-Zubair was all that and more and insisting on his place. Let's, you know, as you go on in the story of Zubair anhu, you see that he becomes a student of the Prophet very early on. He doesn't miss his lessons in Darul Arqam. So he goes from his torture and you would think that, you know, some of that torture would shake him up a bit, right? That would deter him a bit. It doesn't stop him at all. He would always be amongst the people of Darul Arqam, listening to the Quran as it came down accompanying the Prophet Sallallahu despite whatever torture he would have to face. Him, Talha and Ali become a trio. Okay, so he's inseparable from Talha even in their names, Talha was Zubair and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well in the, uh, in the age and in the closeness that they have. So they become a trio of sorts, but he has a unique moment uh, with the Prophet Sallallahu from the very early days of Islam. Now notice, that he's being tortured like the others are being tortured. And to this point, especially in the early days, the Prophet ﷺ himself was not facing physical persecution. So they did not put their hands on the Prophet ﷺ just yet. But the Prophet ﷺ was sitting one day, and as he is sitting, as Zubair anhu, this young man who is facing the torture of his life, comes running towards the Prophet ﷺ, breathing heavily, and he's holding his sword. And he arrives at the Prophet ﷺ, panting, holding his sword, and then he catches his breath. And the Prophet ﷺ says, Malik, what's wrong with you? What's going on here? Are you coming to give me some news? What's happening here? He said, Ya Rasulullah, I was told that you were attacked. I, I was told that you were attacked, that someone uh, attacked you. So Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa he smiled at Az-Zubayr radiallahu anhu and he said, فَمَا كُنْتَ صَانِعًا إِذَنْ What were you going to do if I was attacked? قَالَ كُنْتُ أَضْرِبُهُ بِهِ مَنْ أَخَذَكَ I was going to hit, I was going to strike whoever, uh, you know, attacked you with the sword. 
That's what I was going to do. So the Prophet ﷺ was impressed by the courage of Az-Zubair that he wasn't thinking about his own persecution. He wasn't thinking about how all of the odds were stacked against them in Mecca so early on. He heard that the Prophet ﷺ was attacked and he went forth to defend the Prophet ﷺ right away, not thinking about the consequences of that, the consequences of which would have surely been that he would be killed, right? We're talking about the early, early, early days of Al-Islam and so that's why uh, Az-Zubayr anhu earns that noble title of being the first one to draw his sword in defense of the Prophet uh, in Mecca as the persecution would start to grow of our Messenger So he is facing his own persecution, it is severe, he's a student of Dar al-Arqam, he is constant in the presence of Talha and Ali, he's constant in the presence of the Prophet but as his persecution uh, increases, his personal persecution at the hands of his uncle, who was the shaitan of Quraysh, uh, Nawfal ibn Khuwaylid, the Prophet ﷺ gives him permission to migrate to Habasha with his cousin Ja'far radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So Ja'far is also his first cousin, again, because of uh, his mother, Safiya bint Abdul Muttalib. So he goes to Abyssinia and he was not married. So most of the uh, the group of Abyssinia, when you start to look at them, they were couples. As Zubayr radiallahu anhu was sent alone to Abyssinia alongside Ja'far radiallahu anhu, the daughter of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, and Uthman radiallahu anhu, and Umm Salama, and Abu Salama, and Abu Habiba, and Umm um, um Habiba, uh, and her husband Ubaidullah bin Jahsh, and so on and so forth. He goes along with them as an individual. And what happens to him in Habasha, in Abyssinia, as this young single man amongst this community of believers, is that he gains a closeness to a Najashi himself. And uh, he's one of those that would help a Najashi learn the deen as well. So we learn about Ja'far radiallahu anhu, obviously who played the most pivotal role in his relationship with the ruler of Abyssinia, with the Najashi uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, but also with Zubayr radiallahu anhu, he establishes a relationship with uh, and Najashi um, himself, and as Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was one of those, and, and this is significant because you can imagine the sentiment to a person like a Zubayr. He was one of those that knew an Najashi, established a relationship with him, and then prayed janazah on him from Medina. Okay, remember the uh, the salah that was uh, the janazah that was done for an Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu was done in Medina uh, in his absence. Zubayr lined up behind the Prophet in Al Madina and prayed the janazah on Al Najashi in Abyssinia, who he had a personal relationship with. And one of the famous incidents that we uh, have already covered in the life of Umm Salama, anha, who of course narrated the majority of what happened in Abyssinia, when she mentions that there was an attempted coup on Al Najashi, that a group of people had rebelled against him. And we were afraid that he was going to be removed as a result of it, that they met at the Nile River uh, for a battle. And obviously the Muslims had to stay out of it. And an Najashi had privately given to Ja'far and Uthman and to the Muslims a ship and given them a contingency plan in case he himself was going to be killed because the protection of the Muslims was guaranteed through him if they were going to be at the mercy of another ruler in Abyssinia, Allah knows what would have happened uh, to them. So they're waiting nervously on the side, uh, you know, away from the two armies, and they wanted to know what was happening. As Zubayr radiallahu anhu was the youngest, he was extremely fit, he, he knew how to swim, and uh, because he had that skill, they were so anxious that uh, whether, it, it's not clear whether Zubayr radiallahu anhu himself volunteered, or whether they asked the Zubayr radiallahu anhu, but they, uh, they, they made something for him, like a little skin for him to be able to go and to go in the Nile itself and to check on the battle and then to come back and to report to the Muslims what was happening. So Zubayr anhu goes into the Nile, he goes to where the battle is taking place and then he comes back and as they see as Zubayr anhu swimming in the Nile to come back as Zubayr, and, and they're waiting for the news, as Zubayr anhu uh, chants, you can imagine the scene from the Nile, Allahu Akbar. And so when he shouted Allahu Akbar, uh, she mentions that they all started to do takbir and she said uh, that I don't think, she swore by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala we were ever so happy 
and relieved. So Najashi came back and Allah Azza established him after destroying his enemy and the chiefs of the Abyssinians submitted to him again. And she said, we were in the best of conditions all the way until we returned to the Prophet So that was a Zubair anhu, who courageously went through the Nile to check up on the two battles uh, or the battles between the two armies. Um, one, of course, the army of the righteous and Najashi radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Now, that is an important feature of him because it plays consistently into his personality. As Zubair anhu established a close relationship to Hamza, of course his uncle. If he was that beloved to his mother, Safiya, then obviously you can imagine the relationship between Zubair and Hamza. And they have that same uh, warrior type of personality. He had a deep relationship with his cousin Ali anhu, and he also had a deep connection to his cousin Ja'far anhu in Abyssinia. But the physical being of Az-Zubayr, what would Az-Zubayr look like if you saw him? There isn't much about his color or his appearance. It's mentioned that he had um, a light beard, so he didn't have a, a full beard. Uh, but he's mentioned as being extremely tall uh, and lean and muscular. And uh, it, it's said about him anhu, that he was similar in his height to Umar bin Khattab anhu, and that when he sat on an animal, his feet would almost touch the ground from his horse because of how tall he was. Anhu. So he had a, a prominent uh, height and he was extremely lean and muscular. And as we've seen here, uh, could do things that others could not do. And that would obviously play out um, in, in many ways in battle. Zubair anhu, is... One of those companions of the Prophet ﷺ whose legacy is almost entirely tied to his actions in battle alongside the Prophet ﷺ and, and in taking on assignments that other people were not willing uh, to take on. So this is a Zubair anhu. When did he marry Asma bint Abi Bakr anha? He married her after Abyssinia. So he came back to Mecca prior to the migration to Medina, prior to the Hijrah of Medina. And he marries Asma, the daughter of Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr who wanted his daughters to be married to those that were struggling in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So Abu Bakr knows what, uh, what's going to come out of this. Asma knows what type of marriage she's getting into in the sense of his struggle, his lifestyle. Uh, the, you know, the riskiness of being married to a person like a Zubair anhu, who's never just an average person in the battle, but who's always out front and who lives a very difficult uh, lifestyle. Uh, but that was what uh, Allah Azza wa had willed, and that was what Abu Bakr anhu and Asma anha uh, uh, sought as well, to be in the path of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala in that struggle. Now, Asma, who we'll talk about, who is, uh, you know, there's just something about the quality of these three. You can imagine how much courage was in that household of uh, Asma and Zubair and Safiya, right, all together. Not to then mention the children um, that would come after them. Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha made the hijrah while she was very late in her pregnancy. And obviously, Asma played a role in the hijrah of the Prophet ﷺ, which we'll talk about, right? She was not just tasked with traveling from Mecca to Medina, um, but she also plays a role in assisting the Prophet ﷺ and Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the migration of the Prophet all while she was very pregnant uh, anha. So Asma and Az-Zubair arrive in Al-Madina and obviously when you read about the Hijrah to Medina and you read about the way that the Muslims who came from Mecca felt, they felt like Medina was death, right? They complained about the new conditions, they were homesick, they missed Mecca. Uh, a lot of them got sick because they weren't used to the water of Medina. Even though Medina is so much more pleasing, you know, to 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 at least a, a neutral eye or someone that comes from outside, right? The agriculture of Medina, the landscape of Medina, it's so much different. But they weren't used to the water of Medina. They weren't used to the the environment of Medina, and they had a hard time. And one of the uh, the claims from uh, you know, uh, that, that was, that was uh, made in Medina from some of the enemies of the Muslims was that there was a spell on the Muslims so that they would not be able to have anyone give birth, okay? So you can imagine now, as they made it to Medina, they're also starting to hear this rumor that is swirling around Medina 
that the Muslims are not going to be able to have any children, that all of the women have this spell on them and they're not going to be able to have babies. They're going to have miscarriages. And, you know, for the first couple of months, uh, no one actually had a child. There were numerous miscarriages and there could be many reasons for that. One of them, of course, being the, the change of environment, the difficulties of the hijrah and just the, you know, the rate of, uh, of, of fatalities at birth uh, at the time. But Asma radiallahu ta'ala anha and Zubair would be the first to have a child. They gave birth to none other than Abdullah ibn Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. Abdullah ibn Zubair, what an amazing uh, human being and what an amazing uh, lineage, right? He is the son of Zubair, the grandson of Abu Bakr, the second cousin of the Prophet sallallahu uh, He has a great lineage that comes through these two of Zubair and Asma. When he was born, the Prophet ﷺ himself uh, took his saliva and he did the tahniq. He mixed the, the saliva on, in, in, in the mouth of Az-Zubayr and he, uh, he made dua for the Prophet ﷺ and they carried Az-Zubayr Abdullah in the streets of Al-Madina and they chanted behind him shouting Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. So it was a victory to even have a child uh, in that environment. And that was something that came through as Zubair and through Asma bint Abi Bakr. May Allah be pleased with them all. Now, uh, as Zubair anhu would go on to have uh, numerous children uh, with Asma. And uh, afterwards, he would uh, get married multiple times. As Zubair anhu mentions that the naming mechanism of his children and the naming mechanism of Talha's children was, was very intentional. Remember, Talha and Zubair are inseparable. So Talha used to name his children after prophets. And that's why Talha is Abu Muhammad. He's the father of Muhammad. He named his first child after Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wasallam. Zubair, on the other hand, would name his children after warriors. Okay, so Abdullah is Abdullah ibn Jahsh. Munzir, Munzir ibn Amr, Urwa, the very famous uh, Urwa ibn Zubair, who gives us so much of the seerah, uh, is just such a crucial link in the seerah, uh, is named after Urwa ibn Mas'ud. He had Hamza, of course, Hamza, Sayyid al-Shuhada, and his, the beloved uh, uncle and brother uh, of his mother. Uh, Ja'far, he named one of his children Ja'far. He named one of his children Mus'ab. Uh, Ubaid ibn al-Harith, Khalid, Umar. These are the names of the children's, uh, the children of Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So, you know, when we talk about the importance of naming your children with a niyyah, with an intention. Who do you want your children to grow up to be like? Uh, this is one of those families where you see that, that they name their children in a very uh, unique and a very special uh, way. And Zubair radiallahu anhu, as we said, is someone whose, whose uh, legacy is uh, you know, uh, prominent in the battlefield. So he said he was tall, he was built, he was like the height of Umar al-Khattab. His feet would uh, touch the ground when he rode, when, when he rides his horse, his feet could almost touch the ground. He also had the unique ability, uh, being the only other person than Khalid, who could control his horse with his legs and could carry two swords at the same time. So you can imagine in battle, the ability as a horseman, to be able to have so much strength in your legs, to be able to guide the horse and direct the legs and then have so much strength in both of your arms to wield two swords in the middle of battle and to actually fight that way, that's not easy. And the only other person that they said could do that was Khalid ibn al-Walid radiallahu ta'ala anhu and we know about his legacy in the battlefield. So that should give you an image of a Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu that he could ride in the battlefield with both of his swords and he was uh, extremely uh, uh, productive in battle guiding his horse with only his legs. So every battle, every single battle that a Zubair fights in is a day for a Zubair. And none so more special than the Battle of Badr. Uh, I get goosebumps when I think about this, subhanAllah, because the veterans of Badr have a class in Islam, right? The veterans of Badr were those who the Prophet said were forgiven for everything that came before and everything that came after. Jibreel alayhi salam asked the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam, who are the best amongst you? 
Um, and, uh, you know, how do you consider the, the veterans of Badr? The Prophet said the veterans of Badr are the best amongst us. Jibreel alayhi salam said, the angels that fought on the day of Badr, we the angels carry a special status for them. They are the best of us. So just like amongst the Sahaba, the veterans of Badr are the best of the Sahaba, the veterans of Badr from the Malaika, from the angels, are considered the best of the angels. And Jibreel alayhi salam, of course, came forth at the order of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala with, uh, with his army of angels uh, on that day of the battle of Badr. Now, what does this have to do with Az-Zubayr? Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu was one of only two horsemen that day. If you remember, the Muslims were caught off guard in Badr. They were not ready for an, a full-out battle. So not only were they outnumbered, they were out-armored, they, they didn't have horses either. They only had two horses, whereas you know the, the other side had a hundred horses, a thousand people, right? They were fully armed, they were ready, they, they had extra horses on, on, you know, on demand uh, when needed. The Muslims had two. The two that rode those horses, Miqdad and Az-Zubair. So two amongst 315 Muslims had horses, one of them was Az-Zubair. Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, he wore this yellow turban for the day of that battle. And he would penetrate into the army of the mushrikeen and he would fight off all of the horsemen. Taking his two swords, he would run between the horsemen and he would uh, you know, wield both of his swords. And he would knock people off of their swords right and left in the Battle of Badr. And he would suffer two serious wounds in the, the Battle of Badr, which we'll talk about. And that didn't slow him down at all. Again, what does this have to do with the angels? Uh, the Prophet said that on that day when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent 3,000 angels and they fought alongside the believers on the day of Badr, that Jibreel alayhi salam and all of the angels were wearing the yellow turban of Az-Zubair. What an honor to have Jibreel alayhi salam imitating you or emulating you and all of those angels of Badr wearing the same turban as you as they went forth and they fought alongside the Muslims. And of course, the miracles were witnessed on uh, the day of Badr. So, I mean, I don't, I don't know who else, I don't, there is no one else that could make that claim, subhanAllah, to have such a legacy that uh, the Prophet Sallallahu says that Jibreel Islam has showed up and all of the angels and they're dressed like Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. What an incredible honor. As we said, uh, Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu suffered two serious wounds um, on that day. Urwa ibn Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhuma. Urwa uh, says that as a child, I used to, you know, there were three holes in my father's body. His whole body was covered in wounds. But there were three wounds that were so severe I could put my fingers in them and I mean it was it was holes in his body. He said two of them were from Badr and one of them from the famous battle of Yarmouk. So this is a Zubair who going forth on the day of Badr, leading not just the humans but leading the angels as well who were uh, uh, you know who, who were uh, emulating him including Jibreel alayhi salam on that day. In the battle of Uhud once again the Prophet ﷺ comes forth. On that day, uh, the Prophet ﷺ makes a few calls. Now Uhud is obviously now an even greater disadvantage in the sense that the Muslims are more outnumbered and the army on the other side is bigger. And the Prophet ﷺ says, who will take my sword? Zubair anhu immediately says, I will Ya Rasulullah. The Prophet ﷺ says again, who will take my sword? And as Zubair anhu said, I will Ya Rasulullah. As Zubair uh, the Prophet says, a third time, who will take my sword? Uh, Abu Dujana anhu said, I will Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet gave it to Abu, Abu Dujana anhu. And the Prophet said to take it with its haq, to take it with uh, its, its right, that this is a heavy burden. You're going to carry the sword of the Prophet So Zubair anhu says, I was hurt in my heart when, when I saw that the Prophet ﷺ chose him instead of me. But then when I saw Abu Dujana anhu in the battlefield, I understood exactly why the Prophet ﷺ chose him, right? Abu Dujana played a prominent role in the beginning of the battle and, uh, and throughout the battle by the side of the Prophet ﷺ. But the point is that 
as Zubair anhu answered the call of the Prophet right? So he did what would earn him that honor by responding immediately when the Prophet called out and said, who will answer my call? Then another one comes forward. And that is that on the other side, there was a man by the name of Talha ibn Abi Talha al-Abdari. And Talha ibn Abi Talha was a huge man from Quraysh. And he also had the best horse of the mushrikeen. So he's coming forward and he is challenging the Muslims and he is the best horseman. He has the best horse amongst the mushrikeen. And that's saying a lot, right? Considering the worth and the value of horses at that time, he was a huge man and no one, no one wanted a piece of this guy, right? He's that person that you're looking on the other side of the battlefield and you're thinking, you're going to have to have a few people that are going to take him out, right? He's not an easy person to fight. He's someone that is boastful and arrogant, that has a reputation. So he comes out uh, on the best horse and he calls out and says, who's going to come forth and duel with me? All right. The only person that answers the call is Zubair And the Prophet lets Zubair go. Now, when Az-Zubair goes forward, Safiya comes to the Prophet and she says, Ya Rasulullah, he's going to kill my son. I mean, that's not an easy, even if you think about the strength and the size, he has the best horse on the other side. He's more equipped than Az-Zubair. Ya Rasulullah, he's going to kill my son. And the Prophet said, rather Az-Zubair is going to kill him, inshaAllah. So Talha ibn Abi Talha comes forth. Az-Zubair anhu goes in front of him. And obviously the Muslims are nervous. This was, you know, a leader in Badr, you know, the one with the one with the yellow turban, and Ali radiAllahu taala anhu describing uh, the 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 heroic nature of as Zubair radiAllahu anhu. He says, "Yaqdabu kanamir that he he had the anger, the the burst of a tiger, wa yathibu wuthub al asad, and he would jump at a person like a lion. So he combined the best attributes of a tiger and a lion in battle. As Zubair radiAllahu taala anhu uh, goes up to him. And Talha ibn Abi Talha is stunned that a Zubair is standing on the ground and ready to fight him. So he doesn't even have a horse that's going to go at it with him. And so uh, they start to duel within minutes. All right. As Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu walked up to him, he knocked his sword down and then he, uh, he attacks him. He knocks him off of his horse. He grabs the sword of Talha ibn Abi Talha. He climbs up his, his horse and then he kills him with his own sword. And then he brings the horse back to the Muslims. I mean, you, you don't get any uh, more courageous than this. All right. So this man who no one wanted a piece of, who has the best horse on the other side. I mean, the best case scenario is that you get the horse too. You get the armor too. But like you just want to take him out, right? I mean, like he's that that much of a threat on the other side. Az Zubair radiAllahu ta'ala anhu kills him, brings the horse back, and now the horse, the best horse on the battlefield that day, was going to be on the side of uh, of the Muslims. And so um, that's when Az Zubair radiAllahu ta'ala anhu once again showed uh, something about himself that was so unique, right? About his courage and about his his ability. Uh, to move forward. Now, on that day, of course, we mentioned, you know, with, with Safiya and Hamza, uh, عنه, Sayyid al-Shuhada, uh, that day, and, and honestly, a, a very hard biography to cover because of how much I love Hamza, uh, but it hurt him that obviously Hamza عنه, was killed. Um, his cousin, Abdullah ibn Jahsh, the brother of Zainab bint uh, Jahsh, may Allah be pleased with them, and um, Abdullah ibn Jahsh عنه, was also killed. And that's very hurtful uh, to Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu as well because of how much he loves him. And Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu was uh, wounded heavily that day. And he's one of the few people that did not flee from the Prophet on the day of Uhud. Now, Allah Azza wa Jal forgave those that fled on the day of Uhud, right? But at the same time, the honor of those that did not flee is forever preserved, right? Those that at the time when it looked like it was all over, the Prophet ﷺ was to be killed, literally put their bodies in front of the Prophet ﷺ and suffered all sorts of wounds um, on that day. Zubair it's mentioned you know, in some of the, the books that he actually pursued Abu Sufyan, Hamra al-Asad, where they wanted to, after everything had happened, 
to kill the Prophet ﷺ, to finish off the Prophet ﷺ. And seeing as Zubair, they decided it wasn't worth it because of the strength of Zubair ta'ala anhu and the, the other Sahaba uh, that were there that day. Aisha radiallahu ta'ala anha, she told Urwa ibn Zubair, Urwa the son of Zubair, do you know the verse that was revealed about your father and your grandfather? Your father and your grandfather. Who is her? Who is his father? Az-Zubair. Who is his grandfather? Abu Bakr as-Siddiq radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Okay, remember these people have an incredible uh, lineage in that sense, right? Az-Zubair is your father, Asma is your mother, Abu Bakr is your grandfather. So Aisha, who is the aunt of Urwa, uh, says to Urwa, do you know what verse was revealed about your father and your grandfather? And it was the verse, Those that responded to the call of Allah and the Messenger وسلم, after that, that, that you know, horrendous uh, defeat, after the, the horrific thing that had happened to them in the battle of Uhud, those that stayed around, those that did not flee, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala praised them and Allah elevated them. And Aisha radiallahu anha told Urwa, this is about your father and your grandfather and those that were with them, those that stuck around with the Prophet when others had fled at that point, those that were willing to die at that moment around the Prophet So in the battle of Uhud, once again, you have a Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu not fleeing, by the side of the Prophet Sallallahu throughout and doing as the Prophet Sallallahu commands him. On the day of Khandaq, on the day of Khandaq, one of the greatest honors that comes to a Zubair comes on the day of Khandaq. And you might be thinking, how much more honored can you possibly be than Badr? With the angels doing, you know, uh, the, the, you know, uh, uh, you know, modeling themselves after you. And then Uhud, you know, where Allah reveals Qur'an about you for staying by the side of the Prophet How much more honored can you be? In the battle of Khandaq, as the Prophet got news of those that were plotting on the inside from Banu Quraidah and other tribes, the Prophet asked the companions, who will go out and who will sneak into the fortress? They had a, a, a huge fortress in Al-Madina. And it's well armed. And obviously, if they have truly uh, given themselves up now to kill the Prophet and to attack the Muslims from inside, think about how dangerous it is for someone to go and try to spy on them. Okay. But the Prophet calls out and he says, Who is going to go check on them and, and, and find out their news? As Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu immediately, he says, Ya Rasulullah, I've got it. He responds right away. And the Prophet asked again, and Az Zubair was the only one that responded. The Prophet asked a third time, and Az Zubair was excited. He kept, I mean, uh, he responded every single time. Az Zubair said to the Prophet, Ana ya Rasulullah, I can do it, O Messenger of Allah. I can do it, O Messenger of Allah. I can do it, O Messenger of Allah. Listen to what the Prophet says about Az-Zubayr He says, Every Prophet has a disciple. My disciple in this Ummah is Az-Zubayr My disciple is Az-Zubayr With an exclusiveness to it, right? My disciple, my Hawari is Az-Zubayr and I want us to seize this point for a moment because it's often just brushed over as one of the virtues of Az-Zubayr The Prophet called him uh, his disciple, likened him to the disciples of Isa al-Hawariyun. And I want us to actually sit with this for a moment. What is the significance of the Prophet calling him with that specific name of being his disciple. When the Hawariyun are mentioned in the Quran, when the disciples of Isa are mentioned in the Quran, what are they mentioned with specifically? They are mentioned with responding to the call of Isa Man ansari ilallah, who will support me? Who will support me in this noble mission? Right? So Jesus, peace be upon him, Isa is speaking and saying, who's going to come to my aid? And the Hawariyun are praised. They come forth and, and say, we will be the helpers of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We will support you in this noble mission. And so the specific virtue of the Hawariyun in the Quran, of the disciples in the Quran, is their response to the call to support the Prophet. 
right? That they immediately respond to the call of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala without any hesitation. Of course, there's a specific disciple that would actually uh, volunteer himself to take the image of Isa and to even be crucified in his place. So the Hawariyun are praised particularly for the response, right? The quickness of the response. And what do you keep on seeing with a Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu responds immediately. He does not think about the consequences of responding to the call of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And so that day as Zubair who goes out and he goes to Banu Quraida and he puts his life on the line to get the news of Banu Quraida to find out what their plans are to attack the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And that was when he came back and the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, did for him what he only had done for Sa'ad radiallahu ta'ala anhu, which was Jama'ali Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam yawma idhin abawayhi. The Prophet combined his parents for me when he said, Fidaka abi wa ummi. The Prophet said to Az Zubair, I would sacrifice my mother and my father for you. May my mother and father be sacrificed for you. The Prophet ﷺ did not do that except for Sa'ad and then here as Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu. That is, a, that is an incredible you know, honor that the Prophet ﷺ would say that to a person, right? And that is the highest form of praise at that time. Fidaka abi wa ummi, right? We would say that about the Prophet ﷺ. The Prophet ﷺ says that to as Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu and as Zubair never forgot uh, that momentous occasion when the Prophet ﷺ said that to him. And it's those types of things that made it all worth it uh, for Az-Zubayr Throughout the other battles, you find that Malik ibn Awf surrenders in Hunayn when he sees that Az-Zubayr is still up. You find Az-Zubayr after the Prophet ﷺ fighting in Harub al-Ridda, fighting in the battle against the apostates under the Khilafah of his father-in-law Abu Bakr al-Siddiq uh, You find in the battle of Yarmouk, uh, remember, Urwa mentioned specifically the two wounds of Badr, and then he mentioned a wound in the Battle of Yarmouk. Yarmouk was a, a, a difficult battle for the Muslims against the Byzantines at the time. And as Zubair led the charge, and one of the things that Zubair did on the Battle of Yarmouk was that he climbed the wall of the fortress, okay, on the day of the Battle of Yarmouk, and he mounted forward going forth through the Roman army and this is how Az-Zubayr is described. He drove through the entire army himself penetrating and he you know he was able to defeat everyone in his path and then Az-Zubayr penetrated all the way to the back of the army. He turned around and then he fought his way all the way back to the front of the army taking out everyone in his path. One man that was able uh, to do that uh, before the battle even started to its full. So he went into the army, penetrated all of the way to the back, taking out everyone on the way, and then took everyone out on the way back, uh, making his way back to the front lines. And that was the bravery, the courage, the skill of Az-Zubayr uh, And that's why Umar bin Khattab uh, described him as a man Maqama um, Rajul, uh, who's like a thousand men. You give me one Zubair, as Zubair who is like having a thousand men uh, due to his, his bravery and the way that he moved forward. Uh, he was also one of the main generals in the conquest of Egypt under Amr ibn As. And so Zubair played an instrumental role being a general there as well. After Umar ibn Khattab uh, passed away, Az-Zubayr, of course, being one of the remaining Ashar Mubashireen, one of the remaining 10 promised paradise, uh, was chosen to be on the shura of Umar ibn Khattab And Az-Zubayr of course, the, the shura came together and they chose, they, they cast their vote. Az-Zubayr actually cast his vote for Ali ibn Abi Talib who of course was uh, his cousin and very close to him. And Zubayr knew his maqam, knew his station with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. And I have to mention his death because it's one of the most tragic deaths that we have. And, and in fact, SubhanAllah, that is the case, not just with him, but with his son. Uh, you know, how is it that a person so incredible, so amazing uh, would be killed in the fitan from the inside, not taken out from an enemy on the outside, but on the fitan from the inside. 
as Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, when Uthman was under siege, when Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu was put under siege, he uh, sent his children to defend Uthman. And Uthman radiallahu anhu told Zubair to stand down. You've got to, you've got to imagine how hard it was for Zubair radiallahu anhu to practice that restraint, seeing the way that Uthman radiallahu anhu was being mistreated. But Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu demanded what? That no blood is going to be spilled in my cause, stand down. So as Zubair radiallahu anhu wanted to kill them all, he wanted to fight off all of those people. And Uthman radiallahu anhu continued to say, no, you can't fight for me, don't do it. So as Zubair sends his children uh, to guard Uthman radiallahu anhu, but he's frustrated at not being able to fight those people that had held Uthman under siege. Obviously, we know what happens next. Uthman radiallahu ta'ala anhu, is murdered and as Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu is devastated by the murder of Uthman. The crisis is that as Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu is uh, trying to establish himself in this chaos, that Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu wants to organize so that he could properly pursue the killers of Uthman. He makes that promise to pursue the killers of Uthman radiallahu anhu. And the people that push the initial fitna continue to push the fitna and continue to divide the ummah and to maintain that chaos. So as Zubair is in Mecca, and it was himself and Aisha uh, anha, and Talha ibn Ubaidillah anhu, who of course uh, were struck with the emotion and demanding the blood of the killers of Uthman, demanding to go after the killers of Uthman. They come forth and they meet Ali ibn Abi Talib anhu, before the battle of Al-Jamal. And this is a, a you know a, a very uh, uh, tragic um, conversation and, and way that he's going to die. But in brief, in brief, right? We know that Aisha radiallahu anha and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu would talk. They would come to terms. They would go back to their camps. And the idea was that there was going to be no battle. That they came to an agreement that Ali was going to pursue the killers of Uthman, right? and that things were going to move forward. The people of Fitna attacked both sides at night, both camps, so that each one of them thought that the other side struck first, and then the Battle of Al-Jamal takes place, okay? With Zubair, he did not even get to that point where uh, they went back to the camps with Aisha radiallahu anha and Talha radiallahu anhu and Ali radiallahu anhu on the other side going to his camp. With Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, as they came forth to meet Ali radiallahu anhu, Ali said to Az-Zubair, O Zubair, Ya Zubair, do you remember the day that we were sitting together and the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam came up, he saw us sitting together and sitting together as brothers. I mean, they loved each other. They grew up together. They embraced Islam together, right? They're, they were the same age. They had a history. Az-Zubair, again, voted for Ali radiallahu anhu to be the Khalifa. Um, over Uthman radiallahu anhu, right? So Uthman became the Khalifa before Ali. Zubair radiallahu anhu's vote was for Ali radiallahu anhu even initially. And Ali is reminding Zubair of an incident. He says, remember the Prophet saw us sitting together and we were sitting together as brothers and the Prophet said to you, atuhibbu Ali ya Zubair, do you love Ali radiallahu anhu? Uh, o Zubair radiallahu anhu and Zubair said, of course, wallahi, I love Ali, Ya Rasulullah. And the Prophet ﷺ said that you will fight against him and you will be in the wrong. And to, to, to Az-Zubayr radiallahu anhu, that was, uh, you know, impossible. I'm, I'm going to fight against Ali radiallahu anhu. I mean, how could that happen, right? There was such a closeness that they had. They grew up together. They loved each other. So Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu reminded Az-Zubayr of that incident and he forgot that incident. And when he reminded Az-Zubayr radiallahu anhu of that incident, Az-Zubayr radiallahu anhu broke down in tears. He actually gave his bay'ah to Ali radiallahu anhu. So he gave his pledge to Ali and he left the battlefield. He walked away from the battlefield. So before at night, again, the two camps go and a battle breaks out the next day because each one thinks they've been attacked. As Zubair has already walked away from the battlefield, I'm not doing this, right? He realizes that this was a fitna that was caused and he, he remembered that incident uh, with the Prophet As Zubair is walking away, people are following him and they're saying, what's wrong? And he's saying, Da'ani, leave me alone. I'm done. I'm not fighting. I, I have nothing to do with any of this battle. One of the Khawarij, he follows Az-Zubayr radiallahu ta'ala anhu. So this is the tragedy. 
and his name was Amr ibn Jarmus. And he goes to a Zubair as he's walking away and he follows him and he walks up to a Zubair. A Zubair says, uh, what do you want? He says, Uridu suhba. He said, no, I just want to be with you. Uh, I just want to accompany you. I want to be your companion. So Zubair anhu says, fine, right? If, if, it's, if it's because you're, you're walking away from this battle, just like me, that's fine. But this man had evil intentions. Uh, when the time for Salah came, it's just a Zubair and this man, he doesn't know that I just want to be your companion, accompany you. And you know, if they fight, Zubair is going to overpower him. Zubair anhu is strong, even in his old age. There's no way Amr is going, this man is going to be able to overpower him. So what does he do? He waits for the time of Salah. Uh, as Zubair anhu stands up, Amr makes the iqama, Amr Muz makes the iqama for Salah. Zubair anhu says, Allahu Akbar to lead the Salah. And Amr attacks him and starts to stab him until he kills him. And he took the sword of Zubair anhu. So he murdered Zubair anhu in his Salah. And by the way, this is something uh, about the death of Zubair in his Salah. Zubair anhu would die in his Salah. Abdullah ibn Zubair would die in his Salah. Urwa ibn Zubair would die in his Salah. This became a, 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 a sunnah, a pattern of the children of Zubair anhu to also die in their Salah. SubhanAllah, I mean, it's, it's tragic, but at the same time, you know, you will be raised the way that you leave this world. Shahada in Salah. I mean, that's, that's incredible, right? But this is tragic. The man kills Zubair anhu, takes his sword, and he goes to the tent of Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu. Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu is not seeing people at the moment. Ali radiallahu anhu is, is sitting in his tent. And so this man is approaching with the sword of his Zubair. He says, I want to talk to Ali. Ali radiallahu anhu tells the guards, I, I don't want to talk to anyone right now. So he, this man, Amr al-Jarmus, thinks that Ali is going to celebrate the death of his Zubair. He gives the sword to the guard and he says, go show him the sword. So the man walks and, and, and he waits outside to hear the reaction of Ali radiallahu anhu, thinking Ali's going to be happy to hear the murder of his Zubair, because that's what's going to be shown here, right? That he had come to fight you, I killed him instead. Ali radiallahu anhu sitting in his tent, and the sword of Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu comes in front of him, and Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu starts to cry, and he starts to weep loudly. And Ali radiallahu anhu said, I heard the Prophet Wallahi, I heard the Prophet say, Bashiru qatil ibn Safiyyat bin nahr When you meet the murderer of Ibn Safiya, when you see the person who kills a Zubair, Bashiruhu bin nahr Tell him he's a person of hellfire. Bashiruhu bin nahr So Ali had heard this hadith from the Prophet Bashiru qatil ibn Safiyyat bin nahr give the, give the news to the one who murders Ibn Safiyya, as Zubair radiallahu anhu, that he's a person of hellfire. Ali had heard it, not realizing that he's going to be sitting in the tent the day that the sword of Zubair comes to him. And so he starts to uh, repeat, Bashiru qatil ibn Safiyya ibn nahr give the news to the, the one who murdered Ibn Safiyya of hellfire. Amr al-Jarmuz heard the news. He quickly ran away from the tent. Ali radiallahu anhu was getting up to go out and, and see him. Amr al-Jarmuz quickly ran away and he committed suicide. Subhanallah. So he murdered Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu and then he killed himself. Zubair radiallahu anhu goes to Al-Jannah amongst the Ten Promised Paradise. Amr al-Jarmuz goes to hell on the tongue of the Prophet وسلم, which is very rare that the Prophet وسلم, would seal the fate of someone the way that he did uh, that day. And Subhanallah, Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, this noble man who used to make dua to Allah to die in his salah and his children die in their salah, all of them are given uh, this this noble death, and um, you know there there are two incidents I'll narrate here, inshallah ta'ala, to finish this off. One of them is uh, from Abdullah ibn Zubair radiAllahu ta'ala anhuma. Abdullah ibn Zubair radiAllahu anhuma. He said that as Zubair came to me on the day of his death, before he would die, and he just saw the scene and he could smell death in the air. SubhanAllah, he knew something was going to happen. This is a long hadith in Al-Bukhari, by the way. It's one of the longest um, a hadith. So he called me and he stood beside me, uh, my, you know, his son. And he said, oh, my son, he said, listen, today someone's going to, you know, a, a person is going to be killed either as, as a zalim or a mazloom, as an oppressor or an oppressed one. And he said, I see that I'm going to be killed as a mazloom. I think I'm going to die today as an oppressed one. I don't know why, but subhanAllah, sensing death. And this is something 
with the Salihin that sometimes you see that they sense death. So he's telling his son Abdullah that, listen, I'm sensing death. And SubhanAllah, what does he say to him? He says, my only worry is all the debts that I have. I have so many debts, okay? Uh, again, SubhanAllah ties into the series that we just finished. My biggest worry is my debts. And this man's about to go as a shaheed, right? I'm about to be killed as an oppressed one. I just feel it. Someone's going to kill me. And inshallah ta'ala, I'll be the mazlum and not the zalim, the oppressed one and not the oppressor. So he said, I'm just worried about my debts. And he said to him, oh, my son, whatever you have to do to pay off my debts, sell our property, um, give up whatever you can, ask the people, find out who I owe money to. Whatever you have to do, make sure that all of my debts are paid. And he said, if you fall short, when you find yourself in a bind because you can't find a way to pay off my debts, he said, oh, my dear son, uh, seek the help of my master. Who does he mean? He means Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for help. Seek Allah's help in paying off my debts. Why did Az-Zubayr have so many debts? Was it because he used to live a life of ease? No, it was his poverty and the fact that Az-Zubayr any time wealth would come to the home of Az-Zubayr, he'd loan it away or he'd donate it away. So he was famous for not keeping any wealth in his house. No wealth would stay in his house at night. And in the process of that, he accumulated a great debt. He had a great amount of debt. SubhanAllah, this noble man in history who has this position with Allah and his messenger SallAllahu Alaihi Wasallam. So he told his son Abdullah, Sta'an bi Mawlai, seek the help of my Lord. And Abdullah ibn Zubayr says, for four years, I would stand up in Hajj and I'd call out and I'd say, if anyone has a debt from my father, let me know. He kept on looking for all of the people and he said, anytime I would feel anxiety, I would call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and I would say, Ya Mawla Zubair, O, o, o Master of Az-Zubair, pay his debts on his behalf. So I call out to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, help me to pay off his debts. And he said, you know, and this is a long hadith, he starts to go through the, uh, the, the period and basically what he comes to, what ends up happening, subhanAllah from the miracles of Az-Zubair radiallahu ta'ala anhu, there were so many more people that owed him money than money that he owed to, that by the time, and again, it's, it's, it's about a two-page hadith, by the time each one of these people gave back the loans that were owed to Az-Zubayr to his family, Az-Zubayr whose property was valued at over 50 million uh, dinars. Okay, so he ends up being a millionaire that never tasted the sweetness of his millions in this life because of the way that he used to deal with his wealth. So Abdullah ibn Zubair tells this extraordinary story, subhanAllah al-Bukhari in a long hadith about how there ended up being millions of dollars, millions of dinars that were owed to him that he never uh, uh, claimed in his lifetime. Nu'man ibn al-Bashir uh, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, and I'll end with uh, this, perhaps two more uh, just quick hadiths. Nu'man ibn al-Bashir radiallahu anhu, he says that we were with Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu in the last days of his khilafah. And uh, we thought Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu was sleeping. And so we were having a conversation amongst ourselves. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu opened his eyes and said, what are you talking about? Uh, and they said, Ya Amir al-Mu'mineen, we were talking about Uthman and Talha and Zubair. We're talking about the people that died and this whole thing. And Ali radiallahu ta'ala anhu says, Ana min shi'ati Uthman wa Talha wa Zubair. I am from the supporters and lovers of Uthman and Talha and Zubair. And he recited, That we have taken the grudges, anything from their hearts, and made them brothers uh, facing one another on thrones. And he said, That is us, uh, you know, sitting on that day, facing one another on thrones in Al Jannah, that the fitna had caused Sahaba to find themselves on opposite ends of the battlefield. And Ali anhu was pained over that. Uh, that uh, that way and, and the nastiness of the way that Az-Zubayr was killed. I'll end with one thing about Az-Zubayr and that is that we only have about five or six hadiths from him. And that is one of the most extraordinary things about his story. This man who was that close to the Prophet who lived you know, into the time of Ali and whose children are Abdullah ibn Zubayr and Urwa ibn Zubayr, I mean, and his wife is Asma bint Abi Bakr. There are so many routes for a hadith to be narrated from him. 
And yet he did not used to narrate that I heard the Prophet ﷺ say this or I heard the Prophet ﷺ say that. Only a few of them. So Abdullah ibn Zubayr says, I said to my father, I don't hear from you the narrations of Allah's Messenger the way that I hear from this person and that person. And as Zubayr said, I was always with him. I used to always be with the Prophet ﷺ. He said, but I heard the Prophet ﷺ say, مَنْ كَذَبَ عَلَيَّ مِنَ النَّارِ Whoever lies on my behalf, then let him occupy his seat in the fire. He said, you know, basically, I, I, I was too afraid to narrate a hadith from the Prophet Sallallahu out of fear of Allah Azza wa and fear that I might misrepresent him in narrating from him, alayhi salatu wa So that speaks to the taqwa, uh, the piety of this man, radiallahu ta'ala anhu, min al-ashar mubashirin from the 10 promised paradise, the disciple of the Prophet Sallallahu May Allah be pleased with him. May Allah Subh'anaHu Wa Taala join us with him, the neighbor of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam in Jannatul Firdaus. Allahumma ameen. Jazakumullahu khayran. Wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.